We're going to jump in. If you have your Bibles, you can jump into Genesis chapter 15. If you don't know where Genesis is, it's the very first book. So start of the semester, we're going to start at the beginning, right? All your textbooks are starting on page one. We're kind of doing a little bit of that. But we're actually going to jump into chapter 15. This is a story of this guy, Abraham. Before he was known as Abraham, he was named, his name was Abram. And he was this guy who kind of was the father of Israel. If you've, you know, even in modern day Israel, they all see Abram as their father, their founder. And uh, in chapter 15, Abram has, has left his family, has left his home, he's left everything he's known to follow after this God because Yahweh said, leave and I have a place for you. I have a, a new home, a new land for you to go to. And so he's kind of given up everything, trusting God is going to provide and meet his needs and be with him. But you know, how many of you guys know as we kind of walk along the path of life, sometimes we start to question, like, God, are you, are you really there? Are you really with me? Are you really going to be there? And you know, sometimes even for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, we can say, yeah, I believe that God is, you know, all-powerful and he's all good and he has a plan for my life and he's died for my sins even. And sometimes those things we can kind of say because they don't really uh, cost us anything to say them in the moment. But when, when all of a sudden it's like you feel the Lord's, pulling on you in some direction to say, hey, step out. I want you to just be my witness to that classmate. Or, hey, I, I want you to just chill out with relationships right now. I want you to trust me. I've got a plan for you. Or, hey, that career thing, I've got, kind of a, I got some direction for you. When all of a sudden it costs us something to say, God, I trust you, all of a sudden we start to realize what I do or don't really trust about God. And this story is really that story. It's our story. It's God talking with Abram and Abram talking with God and Abram saying, God, I, I'm stepping out, but I don't know if I trust you. How can I know? And this story tells us a little bit about what's that's like, what that's like to step out and see the Lord step in and, and help Abram grow in his trust with God in his journey of faith. You know, it's, it's something it's oftentimes easy for us to do when it just doesn't cost us anything. But when you read stories of, of missionaries throughout history or patriarchs in the Bible or the stories of people of, of profound faith, the people that we read their stories, we're like, I want a faith like that. One of the commonalities about their faith is that they had a tendency of putting themselves in a position where if God didn't show up, they were, they were doomed. It was, it was God or nothing. And that is something that's really scary to us, but this is kind of where Abram's at. I remember a few years ago when we were kind of getting going with the ministry here at Chi Alpha at CSU, and, and we had our national director come and speak to us, and he had kind of been sharing with our team here at CSU about the idea of maybe modeling missions and going overseas and, and sending teams over for like a year to go out and do some work. And there was a couple different places, he said, around the world were really just asking for, for Chi Alpha to get to them. And, and I thought, you know, we were just getting going. There was no other Chi Alphas in Colorado. I was like, Scott, that's a great idea, but I just, that's not for us, not for right now. A couple months later, I go on a prayer retreat, just myself, and I come back feeling like I just had a word from the Lord, and the Lord said, that was for you guys, and you were supposed to go to Russia. So I tell my wife, Lindsay, who we just had 
been married for not that long at that point. She had just moved from Oregon. And I was like, I don't know. Like, she just made Colorado home. And now I'm saying, like, we're supposed to go, you know, lead the team over to Russia for a year. And I go in and say, like, hey, uh, you know, I, I think the Lord's told me this. Maybe you should sit down. And, and I shared with her what I felt like the Lord said. And she said, oh, the Lord told you. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, the Lord told me that, that we were supposed to go overseas for a year and model that. But uh, the Lord told me I couldn't tell you. He had to tell you first. So I've been, I've been waiting for you to get around to, like, hearing from the Lord. I'm like, okay. You know, it's awesome. But we went over there, and it was just, it was nothing ever, you know, no Chi Alpha had quite done that before. And, and we were the first Chi Alpha in the country of Russia. And, and it was exciting, but it was also just a lot to like make that happen and we got a team here from CSU and we went over for a year and there was this there was this moment where the team that was supposed to come take our place the next year so we could come back here had there was some medical issues and there were some different things that happened and they got a hold of us and I think it was like late March or something and they said hey we're so sorry we can't come we can't come next year we don't know what to do but we just can't come and, and Lindsay and I were just sitting there like, what do we do? Like, we have just done, we've stepped out of the boat, metaphorically. Like, we've done all of this to get over here. We left CSU, even though the ministry was young at that time. And we kind of took this risk, and we went over there, and there was a lot of things happening. People were getting saved, and there was really cool things happening. And we were just like, God, what are we doing here? Like, this, this is all going to fall apart as soon as we leave. And, and... I was talking with, uh, actually, Scott again. From there, I was like, I just don't know what to do. In campus ministry, you rarely can get anybody to do anything uh, come, like, April, let alone something as strange as what we were talking about doing, like leading a ministry overseas. And so, and so Scott told me, he's like, hey, do you know, you know your friend Jake? Have you talked to him about what's going on? And Jake was a friend of mine, helped us start the ministry here but was back in Texas. And I said, yeah, I know what he's doing next year. I mean, he, he wouldn't be available. And Scott says, I think you need to talk to him. I said, okay. So I went and I called or Skyped back before Zoom. There was this thing called Skype. And, and I Skyped uh, Jake and I said, hey, I just, uh, I was told that you were, maybe I should talk with you about what's going on. You know what's happening with Russia? And he said, yeah, I've been talking with the team at CSU. I kind of know what's happening there. I said, Scott thought I should talk to you. He said, that's probably a good idea. I said, why is that? He said, well, you know how I'm dating this girl, Shelly. I'm like, yeah. He said, well, uh, we're going to get married this summer. I'm about to propose. I'm like, hey, congratulations. He's like, yeah, you want to be a groomsman? I'm like, sweet. Sounds good. He says, we're, you know, it's going to be a short engagement. We're just going to get married real quick. But he says, he said, I think this call is something is from the Lord. I said, well, what's, why is that? He said, well, Shelly speaks Russian. I said, Shelly speaks Russian. How does she speak Russian? Nobody speaks Russian. You know, she's just an American, regular old girl. Like, and she, like how, do, how does she speak Russian? I was like, well, when she was a kid, her parents were missionaries in Moscow. And they left when she was pretty young, but she picked up the language, and she kept it up through her life. And she said, you know, all of her life she had hoped that someday she would be able to be a missionary in Russia. But she had decided in recent past that she was going to give up that dream because she realized that she was going to marry Jake. Jake had a calling to do Chi Alpha, and there were no Chi Alphas in Russia. And all of a sudden, I call, I call, say, hey, would you come and lead the first Chi Alpha in the country? And not only that, but the guy that one of the guys that was with us on the team was a guy named Brent Kaiser. Some of you guys know Brent. And Brent 
had was with us that year and and Jake led Brent to the Lord that first year. And so when Brent found out that his old mentor, his discipler, was coming to lead the team, he's like, I'm staying. And even to this day now, after years of being back with us, Brent and Ileana are back in Russia leading that team. You know, sometimes when we step out, we don't know how it's all going to work out. Even the plans that we make don't work the way that we think. But the question is, are we leaning into that place with the Lord or not in our lives? Are we leaning into that place of trusting the who or the what, God or the strategy, God or the plan, God or my talents? Do I trust God more than those things? And oftentimes when they don't make sense, we start to realize who do we really trust and what do we really trust in. So we're going to read Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my, uh, my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant of my household will be my heir. And so here's Abram. He's kind of like, God, you know, what, what's the deal here? How do I know? I've stepped out. I've put my trust in you, but I just I don't see it. I don't see how this is going to play out. I don't know how do I trust you when there's so many obstacles facing me. Then the word of the Lord came to him. The man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram trusted the word of God. He trusted God's promise. Even when it didn't make any sense, even when there was nothing to give him any affirmation towards what the promise was going to work like or how it was going to play out, he just said, I trust you, God. And that was righteousness. There was this rightness about it in his relationship with God because he trusted God so much, even when things didn't seem to make sense. So verse 7 says, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of of the Chaldeans to give you the land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now, at this moment, everyone knows what's happening. In the in the Fertile Crescent and the kind of the Middle East area right here where Abram's at, everyone knew what was going on. They're about to make a covenant. And whenever there was like a king or a ruler or somebody of of great power and there was a power difference, um, they would make a covenant, but it was kind of one-sided. You might have heard of covenants as kind of like a two-way street, like you make a commitment to each other, uh, if you've ever heard that word. And that's true, but sometimes when there was an extreme difference, it was really just one-sided. The king's like, hey, I will give you my soldiers, I will give you my resources, I will protect you, but I need, I need some assurance. I'm laying it all out. I need some assurance from you that you'll hold on to your end of the bargain. So everybody knows that at this moment, they are starting a covenant ceremony. Now verse 4, oh, sorry, verse 10, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down to the carcass, but Abram drove them away. 
As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, now we'll get to this in a second a little bit more, but the idea of the covenant was, I know it sounds kind of gross. It's like, oh, why, why was he cutting him in half? It just sounds weird. But it was, it was this idea of you would walk through these halves, and the idea was, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, may I be like one of these. May I be killed. May I die. May I be cut in half like this. I am walking through my own consequence, my own punishment, if you will. And so there's this idea of the justice of the situation, that this is what I'm committing to. But it says that Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, the thing that whenever people began to interact with God, we always kind of have this idea of God as, as just this and it's right as far as it goes, but this like kind of kind, gentle, loving personality. And that's true as far as it goes, but really, whenever people experience the presence of God, the, the otherliness of God, the, the difference between him and us became so evident. Oftentimes, it was seen as dreadful or scary, or, you know, it was oftentimes something where God would have to tell them, don't be afraid, because the power of God, the otherliness of who we are versus who the creator of all reality is, is so vast, so extreme, it would just paralyze people. And Tozer, in his book, I think it's in the Knowledge of the Holy, he makes this comment, there's this, there's this observation you start to see in the patriarchs, if you read kind of the Old Testament Whenever they would have a revelation of the throne room of God, the, the closer they got to kind of God himself, the more uncertain they became about what they were seeing. Right? They, they're just, they would start to kind of use language like, I see this, I see that. And then they would say, I see something like this or like that. Or you know, the closer they got, it, was, it got harder and harder for them to grasp anything to hold on to because God was so different than us. And so here is oftentimes this dreadfulness, kind of this, this dark, uh, fearful thing, because not only is this God this powerful being, but he is also just. And there's a sense of his justice and his goodness that is revealed. I think of like Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter saw this, what Jesus had just done, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. We talked about that last semester. Isaiah 6, 5 Isaiah says, Woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I think of Revelation 1.17. Greatest Devo of my life was actually getting to go to uh, that island where, where John wrote Revelation. I got to go into the cave, and I was reading Revelation, this passage here, and, and you just kind of see, he says, when I saw him, and so you're kind of actually watching in the cave. It's like, oh, so he was saying Jesus was right there. And you're like reading this. It's really cool. But, sorry, that's just a total tangent. But he said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, now I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And so, basically, here's the thing. Here's the point that we're getting to. For Abram, in this moment, there would have been a lot of fear about what's going on. Because in the presence of this God, he's like, I'm about to make a commitment to this God? Like, I'm about to go into covenant with him? 
Like that, that would have been scary probably to him, this powerfulness of God, this darkness that fell over him and this revelation of God's presence in that moment. It says in verse 13, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So God's kind of laying out the plan here, right? God's laying out the plan. Um, other times he explains it more in depth, like, hey, you're going to be a blessing to all nations. You know, your descendants are going to bless all nations. Um, but, but he's basically laying out the covenant, like, hey, this is, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go into an agreement. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And this is kind of how it's going to play out. Now, it says, verse 17, when the sun had set, the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. From the wall of the uh, Wadi of Egypt, Wadi, to the great river, the Euphrates. So, what's interesting here. You don't really catch it. If you read through it real fast, you don't even quite see what's going on. But what happens here is God, he commits. See, Abram, he lays down, he falls asleep. God doesn't let him walk through the pieces. Abram is supposed to walk through these pieces in front of the presence of God. Instead, God knocks him out. And God walks through the pieces for him instead. God commits. Now, now here's, here's just what's crazy about this. And I don't know, you know, I've heard this. I've heard this breakdown, and I've even taught on it before in the past. Anytime we come back to this passage, I just can't, I can't get my head around just how profound the idea of this really is. Because for Abram, Hundreds, hundreds of years before anybody had a clue about Jesus or about God's plan of resurrection and redemption and restoration of the human race back into relationship with him. Before any of that came into being, God started the story of the Israelite nation, the story of Israel's redemptive work towards Jesus with the beginning saying, we're going to walk into covenant at the very beginning, and it's the gospel message. Because what God is saying, you know, what would have been scary to Abram was not, hey, God, I trust you. That wouldn't have been so scary. That wouldn't have been so scary for Abram. It's like, yeah, okay, God, you're powerful, you're good. Like, okay, I, I trust that you, you'll hold up your end of the bargain. What would have been scary for Abram was that he couldn't hold up his end of the bargain. Like, I, this is a death sentence. I'm going to screw this up. There's no way we're going to make it to the the time when my descendants would be the blessing of all nations to, to my descendants inheriting this land. There's no way we're going to make it that long. We, we're going to screw this up. And we're going to be dead like these animals. And so Abram doesn't actually commit. God basically says, hey, if I screw it up, which nobody thought was an issue, may I die? But even if you screw it up, Abram, I will still pay the penalty for your screw-up, too. 
And that would have been shocking and very confusing to Abram. Because the idea that is being laid out right here is God saying, I will pay the price of your suffering, of your screw-ups, of your punishment, and anything I do, which nobody thought was an issue. But how does God pay? How does the divine die? How does the divine pay the price of Abram's failures? So now you're beginning to see Romans or Mark chapter 15, verse 33 says, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Sound a little familiar? And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema shabbatani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, quote referencing the Psalms and, and basically articulating this idea of, of him paying the penalty of a just God in front of him. When some of these, those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, which was the idea of the place where that dreadful just God resided, his presence resided, and it was seen as split in two, separating man from God. God's literally saying, I am paying your price, Abram. Hundreds of years later, Jesus would come on the scene, and that dreadful darkness would come upon him, and that justice would come on him, and that thing that Abram would have feared, God, I can't make it. I am going to pay the price of dying because there's no way I'm going to hold up the covenant with such a good God. All of a sudden was paid, and God said, I will pay for what you do, and I will pay the price, and I will die on your behalf. And we see God come on earth. You know, there's no real way to understand what God does to Abram except for that. And sometimes people think like, oh, well, you know, the followers of Jesus, you know, they had this dead Messiah, and they had to come up with this idea of what the gospel was about and what he was really doing, and they kind of created the story of Jesus' death as penalty of our injustice and our, and our screw-ups. But here it is. Chapter 1 of the covenant with Abram. And God's laying out, this has always been the plan. You're not shocking me by the things in your life that have fallen short of my glory. You, are, you cannot surprise me by the way that you have not lived up to my glory. And yet, I love you too much. I'm going to redeem that. I'm going to come to save you. And you can either say, well, I'm not that bad. Well, that's fine until you start to realize that your standard is not the person sitting next to you, but is the God of all creation. When he is your standard, how can you stand? And if you think you can, that's a pretty incredible ego you have. It would be amazing to see that you can even walk around with it. But if you realize, okay, here is a God that is that good. How do I even have a relationship with him? And here is the story of the gospel that God said, I will come and draw near to you because you can't draw near to me. And I will pay the price of your failures. Because when we compare ourselves to God, we realize we fall short. But then how do we have a relationship? Because forgiveness requires that someone always pays. 
the price. That's why forgiveness is always so hard. You're forgiving, you know, you're suffering from someone's failure in your life, and then you're suffering for them when you forgive them. And that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard step to take. If I crash into your car, then I have to either pay the price of getting it fixed or you forgive me, in which case it means you just have a broken car. Someone always pays in forgiveness. The cross is the story of God saying, I will pay because you can't. It's too much. It's too much for you. But an infinite God can. Romans chapter 4 says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Talking about Abraham. This is why it was said, credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, us today, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Talking about what Jesus had done, Paul talking to the Romans. And so what is the cross? It is a weapon against what binds you. Passage, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It is a cure for your anxiety. He says, be courageous, I have overcome the world. It is a solution to your loneliness. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus said. It is a means of spiritual warfare in our lives. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. It is the destiny for the follower. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said, that where I am, you may be also. It is a declaration of love. Greater love hath no one than he who lays down his life for his friends. But if you die, you know, that, was, that would have been the end of the story. You know, Nietzsche would have been right. We killed God, so we have to take his place. But the story of Jesus is a story that three days later he rose from dead, that he defeated death itself, that he overcame the grave, that he took its shame, he took its power, he took its punishment, and he overcame it. He paid the price and defeated it. And all of a sudden we see that in the resurrection of Christ, we have a God who is himself the way of life. There is no other belief in all the world that says, I have defeated death. There's no belief, no religion, no worldview, no philosophy that can say that, that can go there. But Jesus on the cross said, I defeated death. Beat that. And I will invite you to do the same if you would join me in life. I am the way of life. Jesus wasn't a symbol, but the fulfillment of an ancient mystery. Hundreds of years before Jesus, God already had laid out the plan. It's like, I know what's happening. It's okay. I've got a plan. Christian hope is not escapism, but is an invitation to transformation. It is, you know, I was, I was telling a couple of you guys this weekend over salt, what's interesting, I'm, you read through the Bible, there's a number of different places throughout the Bible, but the cross is the pinnacle of it. That only, only in Christianity do you have the ability to, to merge kind of three things. One, God is good. Two, the world is not. Three, he is more powerful than the evil. 
and so powerful that he can actually take it and use it and transform it for good. That, that the cross is this declaration that the world is not good, and yet he is, but he is so powerful that even when you face reality, whenever you face challenges and suffering and struggles and difficulties and disappointments or joys and, and hopes and beliefs and what you actually put your trust in, whenever you face those things, whatever those things are, God can use those, the good and the bad, and he can take those and he can transform them. Because here is a bunch of people doing an incredibly evil act. They're literally, literally killing God. Can you imagine what kind of act that must have been in the history of humanity? Where Have we ever had that kind of evil expressed in the world? That we actually killed the very creator of all things. And yet God, in his power, said, I can use even that to redeem the very hands that put him on the cross. And that is the power of our God. That is the power of the cross. That is the power of his resurrection. And so we have the belief that Christianity is not, hey, let's escape from reality. It faces reality head on. It says it, it is difficult. It's challenging. You're not going to always have it the way you want it. It's not always going to work the way you think it should. The world isn't going to be as good, as just, as kind as you think it, it's meant to be. But if there is something in you crying out, it's meant to be better. It's because you were meant for something more. There is a God who says there is more. If you would join me, I will walk with you into it. And that invitation into new life is an invitation for each one of us. So how do we take hold of the trust in the Lord in our lives? As we walk into 2024, as we walk into the new spring semester for CSU, how do we walk in trust with our God in a greater way? How do we walk into that journey with God? And just a couple thoughts, but one, are you passive or are you active in your growing trust with your God? Are you passive or active? I always find this to be true with a lot of people. People are always like, well, you know, I, yeah, I kind of trust God at some level or I believe in God or I, you know, follow God at some level. But, but it's mostly because they're, it's pretty low for the most part because they're passive about it. They're like, yeah, well, you know, I trust God for as much as, you know, he's shown to be trustworthy in my life. But like, well, what are you doing to, like, let him prove his trustworthiness? It's like, well, nothing. I'm just sitting back. You know, nobody can earn your trust if you don't let them. You actually have to actively give people opportunity to, to be trustworthy in your life. You know, you're going to say, like, otherwise you're just sitting back being like, prove it to me. You're not, trust, you're not even giving them the space to do that. And so many people say, well, yeah, I don't believe in God or I believe in God, but I don't really trust in him. Because they've never given him the chance to show himself trustworthy. Abram stepped out. And yeah, he began to wrestle with God, are you really there? But it was in that place of him journeying after God, in the pursuit of God, that God was able to show himself even more trustworthy than Abram even imagined. So are you sitting back or are you engaging with your God? Are you letting him grow his, your trust in him? Another thing is, are you trusting God for things that he cares about? Are you trusting, you know, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, hey, they'll be added to you. But are you just using God for what you care about and what you really trust in? It's like, hey, I really trust in my career path and God, if you could just help me do that so I can trust in that career path, that would be really helpful. 
right? Like I really trust in a life that's going to be fulfilling with with the right kind of, you know, partner in life. So God, if you could just help me get that partner, then, you know, I, I don't really trust God. I just trust him to like help me with the thing I actually believe and trust in. Do you trust in God in the things that he cares about? Are you learning to step out and say, God, okay, God, I surrender. I submit. I say, God, I will take, I will take what you have for me, and I will learn to lean into it. But all of those things really have to start with just saying, are you spending time with him? And just thirdly, just that thought, like, are you spending time with your God? You may say, I don't even know if I believe in God or where I'm at yet. That's okay. Are you spending time with him? If you don't know if that girl is the right girl for you, you know, the only way to know is to spend time with her or girls with him. You know, like, you know, be wise about all that, of course, all that. But, but there's that sense, like, you have... Like, with God, are you like, well, God, I just, I don't really trust you. It's like, well, what's your Devo life like? Oh, it, it's horrible. I, you know, what's a Devo life? Like, you know, okay, well, that's fine. Have you spent time with him today? Have you spent time in his word? Have you spent time learning to grow in your trust and love for him? If you haven't spent time with him, then, then don't put it on God's feet to say, God, you just, you've never made yourself trustworthy. It's like, well, no. I'm trustworthy, but you've just never let me in to get to that place with you. But if you do, if you lean in, if you step in, it's amazing how Jesus says he's at the door knocking, how God proclaims, hey, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to be with you, the comforter, counselor, the guides, that God is promising a relationship, not just a belief, not just a subscription to an ideology, but a belief in a God who believes in us and is walking with us and believes more about what you can be and who he meant you to be than you even understand or comprehend. Abram, he just wants to like go find a plot of land to kind of post up and hang out and maybe have a kid or two. God's like, I'm going to transform the world through you. God believes way more about what is possible through Abram than Abram even dreamed yet. And that's not an egocentric, like the moment you start saying, well, I'm just going to use God for my glory, you miss the whole point. But God's saying, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. And to do that, let's have an adventure. And I think there's a lot in you that I, I meant to grow and develop. If you would draw close to me, I would, I'd love to help that take effect and to develop into the person that you were always meant to be. You find your true humanity. You find your true self in Christ. So tonight, we're just going to take um, a couple minutes here. And real simple, I just want you to kind of get together in, in a group of like two or three. If you've got a small group, get together. If you've got a cohort, you can get together. If you, just, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go with the person next to you and just get into a group of a few people. And I just want you to ask, you know, don't, no pressure to anybody. If you don't want to share anything, that's totally okay. But just, I want to just give space to say, hey, in that circle, just ask this question, how are you wanting to grow in your trust with God this semester? Maybe it means, hey, you're a small group leader and you're like, hey, I really want to like start reading the Bible every day and reading a chapter a day and like, could you get, hold me accountable? Maybe it's, hey, I just want to like, I know there's something the Lord's pushing for me to step out in and I'm trying to learn to trust him with my career, my relationship status, my dot, 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 whatever it may be. Like how, but just share a little bit with each other. Like how are you wanting to grow 
in your trust with God. Because if you're passive, just sitting back saying like, well, he can, you know, do you grow in your trust with God this semester? No. You do anything to try to do that? No. It's like, well, <laughs> did you pass your classes this semester? No. Did you ever study? No. Okay, well, who, who, who's to blame, right? Like, let's, so, but we believe that God wants you to ace this semester, not to push the analogy to its breaking point. And so that's, and that's going to come from just saying, hey, God, how do I lean into you? And I guarantee you it's in that place that you will find, as Jesus says, I came to give them life and life abundantly. And this semester and this year, God is inviting you into life. Would you step in and follow after him? Let's get together. Hey, if, uh, if you're new here, I know we got a number of new faces. Just like I said, we'd love to connect you with you with uh, small group communities. Those are just gatherings throughout the week of people that are learning to live life with each other as they're learning to live life for Christ. We do a lot of one-on-one discipleship and small group spaces. We'd love to walk with you this semester if you're interested. After this tonight, my house... Come over. We got a lot of stuff left over from salt, so we're just going to, like, throw it out there and muffins and bagels and a lot of random stuff. But uh, come hang out. Just have fun with us tonight. But uh, thanks for taking time on your first night of school this semester, and we hope to see you in the days to come. So, Lord, we thank you that we don't have to hope to, to have you with us. You already are there. We recognize your goodness, your love, your faithfulness, and your trustworthiness in our lives. Lord, help us to grow to be trustworthy in our relationship and our knowledge and our love of you. We love you, Jesus. Help us love you more. Help us truly, authentically serve and follow and journey. Shape us, God, as a community as individuals, God, may you shape us into the people that you desire us to be, people of trust and trustworthiness. We'll lean close to you and we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for your time tonight, guys. We'll see you at Post Post or next week.